Andrew, welcome to Hugging and Learning, the podcast where we look back at very special episodes from the past to see what they still have to teach us today. Today we are watching Who's the Boss? Season 1, Episode 11. The title is Samantha's Growing Up. I was not able to find this to stream anywhere online, so this is one of the ones where if you're in LA, check out the Paley Center. For sure. And if you're not, lobby your uh, Netflix and Hulu representatives. Sure, I'm sure, that, I'm sure they're one vote away from putting <laughs> Who's the Boss on. This originally premiered uh, January 8th. 1985, directed by Linda Day, written by Paul Robinson Hunter. Cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, Who's the Boss? Very long-running TV show. Very excited to talk about it today. It's the first time we've ever done it on our podcast. Yeah. But, but before we get to Who's the Boss, mm-hmm. let's talk about what's the snack. Well, we are in the uh, we're in the evening hours of Easter Easter time. Wait, when's Easter? No, we are at the beginning of Easter. We're season. at the big. We're at the dawn of Easter. <laughs> uh, Easter season is sweeping the nation, uh, <laughs> as it seems to every year, with an almost religious fervor. And so we've committed to buying as many Easter snacks as possible, Mm -hmm. both in our personal lives and professionally. (laughs) For this podcast. Yeah. Yes. So this time we've gotten, um, go ahead, Chelsea. We've got Palmer, you know, famously maker of uh, the most of the chocolate bunnies that you see in the store, Palmer Mm. bunnies, double crisp bunnyettes. So they're chocolatey, smooth, crispy, crunchy candy. They're little, small, one inch tall chocolate bunnies. They're like Easter basket cannon fodder. <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah, this is you, Easter basket filler right here. Why don't you read Palmer, uh, the, the little logo underneath Palmer on the front there, their motto? Making candy fun. Wow. Well, that seems like the least you could do. Lofty goals, Palmer. <laughs> candy should not be work right, at any point. Let's unwrap just one of these and try them okay. out. <laughs> the first time i've ever said this on this podcast these are nasty really nasty well they're just not good no this is this is okay if you don't know about this i'll post the link we don't have time to get into the nestle conspiracy oh boy but almost all of the chocolate manufactured for grocery store shelves shelves in the country is made by nestle Mm. even things that say other things like cadbury they own cadbury's a british company but nestle makes cadbury chocolate in the u.s due to some weird patent thing copyright thing and it tastes like blood. I don't know. It's like metallic and watery. I hate this kind of chocolate. I don't. I don't get the the blood thing. But uh, no, it just. It's not. It's substandard chocolate. It's yeah, but not, I can't. That is so gross to me. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I didn't eat chocolate at Juilliard, so I don't oh my know how, god, <laughs> how that goes. I ate chocolate <laughs> on the streets. Street chocolate, <laughs> which is why I have so much hepatitis. <laughs> 
The fact that I'm intellectually Wait, superior to everyone does not affect my taste buds. I didn't say you're intellectually superior. I just said you were pretty snooty. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, um, so, yeah, hard pass on Palmer. Palmer, guess what? You <laughs> failed. You didn't so make candy gross. fun. No, you didn't make... You, you made, made candy a chore. You made candy mad. I made, <laughs> I'm mad for on behalf of other candy. Fair enough. Ugh. So let's talk about a goddamn episode of Please. television. Okay. It's still in my mouth. It's still in my mouth. Drink more coffee. It's the it's, only thing that'll kill it. I'll need, I'll need sulfuric acid. <laughs> Dynamite. Okay. Who's the boss? Enormously popular television show. Ran for eight seasons, 196 episodes, 1984 to 1992. It's one of these shows where they just kept sort of coming up with with new and improved story. Like, the kids got older and yeah. the writers kept up with that. There was a little bit of a Cousin Oliver situation in season seven and eight. Tony adopted a kid in season seven and then he sure. was gone in season eight. Yeah. Um, they managed <laughs> to maintain the will they or won't they sexual tension between Angela and Tony for all eight seasons and they then really didn't do. resolve it. Like. They had t- talked about maybe having them get married in season eight, and then they decided no. They had planned on it in the middle of season eight, and then they're like, no, but this might that might destroy this show. Right. Yeah, real will they, won't they, why bother kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah, uh, so it was incredibly popular. And uh, for this kind of a, you know, total family sitcom, most episodes take place entirely in the house yeah. kind of a thing. I think it's it's pretty well written and holds up pretty well. At it's, least this episode. Yeah, it's fine. It's a little frustrating uh, to watch this this kind of television where it's like they have one small problem and then somebody is willfully <laughs> ignorant. And that's a little bit tough. But just to throw out a, some, some fun facts about mm-hmm. Who's the Boss yeah. that I read on MeTV.com. Mm-hmm. Which is just, it just features rocking chair clip art. Uh, I'll say that for it. And like a nice pastel background. Still got a guest counter at the bottom. Um, Really? I haven't seen one of those in a decade. Yeah, my point is me TV is for old people. Uh, 12 authoritative facts about who's the boss. You found a similar article, right? I did on mental floss. It's like 12 bossy. uh, Unquestionable. (laughs) Yeah. Because there's a question mark at the end of the title. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there originally wasn't, Chelsea. I know. This this was originally called You're the Boss, which took all the mystery right out of it. (laughs) (laughs) Just whoever was on screen at that point was like, oh, I guess Mr. Oh, you're the boss. You're the boss. Well, as the boss, you can change the channel. Uh, but also in foreign countries, it had other names. Mm-hmm. In Fun England, names. in England, it was called The Upper Hand. But that's an actual spinoff. That's a oh, different show. Yeah, that's a spinoff that ran for several years in England. Oh, fair enough. But based on the same premise. Based on the same premise. All right, fair enough. In France, it is called Madame is Served. Mm-hmm. And in Italy, it's called Super Housekeeper. <laughs> <laughs> there, was a German, there was a German spinoff as well, but that didn't even last one season. The Germans were not have, about this life. They didn't even have a chance to title it. They were like nine. <laughs> nine. <laughs> okay. So the ordinary world of the show, it's a um, pretty simple premise. The show is set in Fairfield, Connecticut. Former Major League Baseball player Tony Maselli and his tomboy daughter Samantha have moved from Brooklyn 
to live in Fairfield in the home of an uptight ad exec named Angela Bauer. And Tony is the housekeeper and kind of uh, works also as the nanny for Angela's shy son, Jonathan. And her nutty vixen mother, uh, mm, Mona, the thirsty the, aunt, the, blur- the thirsty, <laughs> thirsty aunt grandma. archetype, yeah. uh, is, also lives in the, in the house. And actually, um, they originally intended for Mona to be Angela's older sister, but they had some trouble casting it. And then when they saw Catherine Helmond and she was so good, they said, Let's make it a little older, have her be the mother. Now all these these five people, these two kids, these three adults, all live in this big house in Connecticut. Which is a fine way to, to describe it. I, for the first time, noticed when watching the opening theme song for this, which has been, you know, it's delightful. It's mm-hmm. really nice. But I realized, taking completely out of context, it tells a different story for the first 10 seconds. Uh, so if you if you raise if you get rid of any context, picture a dilapidated windowless van driving from a large city up to the front of a small suburban house. <laughs> For the first six seconds of this, who knows what's going to happen? And actually, Angela opens the door in a robe, and Tony's just like ah. So, and then he's in the kitchen making two kids pancakes, and that's like that kind of deals a blow to the whole horror aspect. But maybe he's just taking over the house, just biding his time. Perhaps he is a housekeeper, a super housekeeper. Super housekeeper. <laughs> uh, but then it, it gets into heartwarming scenes and, and that's it. So, so it's clearly a fun comedy. It's a fun comedy. And the who's the boss question mark comes from the fact that there's a lot of give and take in mm. the relationship between Angela and Tony. Clearly, she's raising a boy in her own. He's raising a girl in his own. The older the kids get, they start going through puberty. They need to lean on each other for help. And right. this episode is a prime example of that. Okay. And she's very kind of uptight and he's real laid back, loosey goosey. And mm. so um, there's and a lot of much like, like our dynamic. She is, is properly educated and he's from <laughs> the streets of 1920s little Italy. <laughs> I guess. I'm so excited oh, that man. we're doing this episode though, because finally your one I, accent that I'm you can do. I'm telling you right now, as soon as I started watching this, I'm like, I found, my accent's dead. <laughs> At last, my accent's dead. He went out for a cup of coffee and he Yay! never came back. Hey! It's finally working wow, to our advantage. So from now on, we're only doing Who's the Boss episodes. <laughs> Maybe an episode of Taxi. Who's the pod? It's, this is a backdoor oh, pilot for our spinoff. Gross. <laughs> I would rather die. So... We get into this episode, and we start in the backyard, I guess. Like yeah. a really overgrown backyard. Is it? It's a backyard. It's a backyard. And Tony and his tomboy daughter, Samantha, are playing pretend football. <laughs> yes, and she, we already know from previous episodes that she's a super tomboy. She's real big into sports. He's raised her kind of like a son. And she goes to catch the ball, which she's done a thousand times before, and she almost catches it and then she drops it yeah. because she doesn't want to open her arms wide. She puts I, them sort of protectively around her chest. I thought she had caught it and then it actually hurt so she dropped it. Well, it's it's she doesn't actually it's not very clear. But it's there's not. also something about like having been a girl when you need a bra and you don't have one, mm. you don't want to fling your arms out in front of you or to the sides sure. of you. Um, also, hey dad, stop throwing tight spirals at your daughter's <laughs> chest. How about that? And then she's like, I don't want to play anymore. And she goes into the house and he doesn't get it. He's befuddled. Oh, man, I've got a word for Tony and we'll get to it. <laughs> so we're um, in the kitchen and Mona is cooking. Why is Mona cooking? Yeah, that never happens. Who's the boss here? <laughs> One might wonder. Uh, Tony tries to comfort Samantha. She's like, 
he's like, hey, it's okay. We almost did. And she's like, but Rough the translation, oh, man. let's go back outside and play football some more. Yeah. Tony, Tony says that the ball hurts her chest. And, and here's how Tony responds to literally Sam. Ev- Sam says that the ball hurts. her. Chest. Sam tells Tony that yeah. the ball, you know, hurts her chest. And like when Tony's confused about anything, he's pretty much like, what? No. What? <laughs> hey, what? It's just that. It might as well be that. It turns into like static in my ears where I'm just like, I get it. You don't understand anything. She's like, I, I can't tuck the ball into my chest the way I used to. It hurts to catch it that way. And then she leaves and he's just standing there making those noises that you hey, just what? illustrated. Oh, no. go. But Mo- Mona and Angela. <laughs> it's going to get a workout. This accent is getting a workout today. Mona and Angela know pretty immediately what's going on. Tony's totally in the dark. But they tell Tony that Sam needs a bra. Uh, and he's like, what? And Angela Ooh. says, Angela says, cross my heart, which is a joke because it's pretty it was good. a brand name of a very popular brand. Even I got that. Nice. Um, so this is the call to adventure. This is the catalyst for change. Sam needs a bra, which is symbolic of a whole bunch of other things that are now Sam has crossed the threshold into a, a different part of her life where Tony's going to have a lot of a lot of feelings about that. And we'll go through all of those yeah, feelings with him. A lot of him. fucking dumb feelings. But um, there's an immediate refusal of the call because he's like, I am not here for this conversation. Sam is just a little girl. She doesn't need a bra. End of story. Yeah. And then the, the women are like, no, the time has come. The stores are open. Go forth. Procure a bra. Here's what I wrote down about this episode. If you are a little girl and this is a problem that your dad has... Your dad has many more problems than this. <laughs> like, this is what I like to call the tip of the iceberg with Tony Mazzelli. It's like his not being able to understand that his daughter may be growing up. Like, you know, being shocked or bewildered by it, that's fine. Like, d- yelling at nature itself to, to stop encroaching is something else. Also, we get a sweet, uh, Mona's like, oh, Samantha came and talked to me about boobs. And Angela's like, why didn't she talk to me? And there's a, there's a Mona's got legendary boobs yeah. joke. <laughs> which, um, you know. So I think this is this is the meeting with the mentor, right? So Tony's the hero. Weirdly, mm. it's Samantha that's going through something physically, but it's Tony that is going through something emotionally. Yeah. And it's his journey that we're on. And so this is his short meeting with a mentor where they're like, you need to get her abroad. There's no point in ignoring this anymore. It's it's only going to get worse from here, basically. Is that a case, uh, you know, as far as the hero's journey is concerned? Samantha is definitely going through something. But because Tony is is overreacting, is it a kind of case where he sort of steals away the hero ship from her? <laughs> a little bit. It's but like I- if King Arthur was like, I got to pull a sword out of the stone! <laughs> and then Merlin was like, how do I feel about this? <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's, a, a, yeah, I think it's his journey because she's sort of like on a c- collision course with puberty. No. She's not doing anything. She seems to be fine with it, yeah. mostly. But she's she's not... He's the one that is making decisions and has to ultimately like come to grips with something. And in here. the end, isn't she, isn't her journey just dealing with her father's, dealing with her situation? Yeah, basically. basically. She's good. No, I'm not a dad. Never been a dad. Had a dad. Have a dad. Don't know if this is like a common thing that dads go through, even dads who aren't single parents. Because I don't know. There's got to be a thing where like... Needing a bra is not just a bra. It's the beginning of a journey that ends with like, it's just a journey of like next comes, we're going to have hair in weird places and then we're going to have a period and then she's going to want to date and then eventually like she's going to have sex with someone. And yeah. and I think all of that flashes before his eyes as soon as 
Mona says the word bra, he's like, sex, immediately. Sure. And I feel like that's probably not uncommon, going out on a bit of a... um, my unprofessional opinion. Well, look, I mean, I, I think it's a it's a common enough trope that there has to be some truth to it that it's like my little girl's all grown up. Yeah, so I think it's pretty common. I mean, he does take it to the, to a real extreme. Yeah, but um, the I feel most like extreme. It's probably a pretty common feeling to be like, no, make this slow. Down. I don't want to deal with this at all. Make this slow down. Make yeah. this stop. But to his credit. He does, in fact, go to get Samantha a bra. Yeah, he does. And now we're fully in the special world. Boy. There's never been a specialer world. <laughs> Not for Tony Maselli. <laughs> and Tony Maselli in the middle of a lingerie department. Well, good news, everybody, because he acts like a fucking creep for the first oh, couple minutes. immediately. And then for the rest of the time there as well. I don't mean to single it out. Well, it, there's, it, this whole scene is weird. Okay, so the first thing is he goes to get a bra without Sam. Why, which why is, is a this? huge misstep. Or, you know, like without any... Why? Yeah, I I don't I don't know. What does he what does he expect to do? Exactly. Why would you go buy clothes any kind of clothes for your kid? Yeah. If you could bring them with you. He, it's it's mentioned later on when they go to buy ice skates, she comes along for that. Yeah, right. Ice skates. They go on your stupid feet. <laughs> so he creepily starts sort of like hitting on a mannequin which is wearing like yeah. a robe, which like would said, be it would be a funny problem. bit if someone were there with him, like, watching, mm. but he doesn't know anyone is watching him, so oh. it's creepy. He's just hitting on this mannequin for the sake of hitting on it. Yeah, like I said, if, if if he's got this problem, he has many, many more problems. Right, so this sales lady sees him doing this, and then she comes over to talk to him, and they are already off on the wrong foot, and there is mm. no recovering this relationship yeah. from the fact that she watched him hit on a mannequin. We get we get some quick 1980 cross-dresser panic. Yes, yes. Hooray. Hooray for that. Um, so she's showing him bras. He's clearly uncomfortable. He's making all kinds of jokes. She's not very nice, but... And she does say, you should have brought your daughter with you. Right. She's not very nice, but she's, she's also, weird. like, saying... It's weird that the way she's portrayed because she's saying all kinds of stuff that is, like... She's making salient points, but she sounds like a lunatic. Yes. And she's laughing in a really weird way. Yeah. And he's like, I don't like this lady. Uh, and picture, I'm like, why is this happening this way? Picture this. Thinking about the scene, what if that clerk had been a 60-year-old woman? Would that have made more sense? Yeah, I guess. I think that's probably what we were trying to do here. And then they're like, there was some mixed wiring between the, yeah. the script and the casting. Yeah. Because, yeah, she's... thinking about it, an old woman who's just like... You know, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. So then she's like, no, you should buy this one. It's our most it's our most basic popular model. And he's like, nah, I don't know. And then he says it looks like a bandage. And she's like, okay, well, here's one with a little pink bow. And he's like, I don't like that kind of stuff. And she says very wisely, it's not for you. Yeah. It's for your daughter. You have to think of what your daughter would like. Yeah, exactly. But this is the big problem with fucking Tony Maselli is that he knows what his daughter's thinking. Exactly. She wants she wants the baseball-themed bra. He doesn't even need to bring her. <laughs> so he buys the plainest model, the sort of like bandage-looking one. And the clerk says that's the one she got started with, which is a little weird. Yeah, but then also like... Then we're all supposed to laugh like creepy. She wears bras. It's a weird I moment. So. Like we're supposed to. Okay, great. So that's the first bra she had too. Fine. I feel like there's there's, there's a lot going on in this scene behind the scenes that yeah. just ended up being like not it doesn't great. translate. Then uh, Tony sexually harasses the headless mannequin before he leaves, <laughs> right on his way out. Reminds us that headless mannequins had so little agency back then. <laughs> Times I don't think have changed much for headless mannequins. I feel like they're the probably... The times will change. Uh, well, as long when the sentient robot uprising starts, 
uh, they'll probably be first in line. Um, so <laughs> yeah, they go home or on their way to get first in line because they can't find it because they got no heads. <laughs> it's true. Um, so back at home, Tony sits down. He's got the bag from the bra store. He sits down to have a little chat with Samantha, and uh, he's just floundering. So eventually, he just hands her the bag. So he and he she did. takes it out and she goes, "Oh, oh, I wanted one with a little pink bow in the middle." Which the sales lady said she would want it's, one with a little pink true. bow in the middle. And then he's like, he's like, why? And then she says, well, you know, for for the people who are going to see it. Everyone's going to see it. Everyone's going to see it. He goes, oh, who's <laughs> going to see it? Yeah, he and goes, hey. Like, Whoa, this is like our, our <laughs> this is the, the zenith of our Italian <laughs> Tony Maselli. So thing. loud. And she's like, you know, all the girls in gym class and at slumber parties. Yeah. And, and he relaxes, which I would like to take a moment here to bring up some research I did. Sure. Um, which came from an article called Everything You Need to Know About Buying Your Daughter Her First Bra on a website called Nixteen. And they give some very helpful points for knowing when your daughter would need her first bra. And among them um, are... It says there isn't a specific age when a girl needs a bra, but these might be the perfect. These situations might be the perfect time to get her one. When breasts start to develop, when you notice all her friends are wearing one, mm. if she asks to go bra shopping, about it? which Sam did, if she has older sisters who've been wearing bras, she shows discomfort and needs extra coverage. She needs extra support for sports. Sam again. Mm. If your daughter is changing at school or going to sleepovers, so this is like prime. Time needing a bra. She's also two days shy of twelve years old. Yeah, which is Tony's what. Tony's gotten um, off light with this shit. This is true. Girls, according to my research, start to need bras on average at age eleven, but mm. they could be as young as eight or as old as fourteen. And then, of course, some women never want or need to wear bras, and that's okay too. Sure. But most girls need their need their first bra their training bra around age 11 so this is like not he should have seen this coming if only he had the internet and he could google when do i buy my daughter her first bra i mean he seems to understand the development cycle of headless mannequins so (laughs) you would think that it would translate somewhere along the line if you google buying my first bra there is a delightful and i'm saying this with absolutely no like no shady tinge to my voice at all there is a delightful corner of youtube where tweens are on there talking about shopping for their first bras and it is adorable and exciting. And I think it's like probably great if you're a little bit nervous about it and you're a tween to go on there and be like, look how much this is totally normal. All these girls had such a good experience, you know, probably give you some courage to maybe go ask your dad to help you get a bra. But in this situation, Tony fucking says, I'm sorry, I'm already upset about what's about to happen. Tony's like, oh, I'll get you another bra, but you're going to have to come with me. And Sam is mortified. And here's my sentence. I'm like, Sam is mortified by the idea of this. And then I try to think of the right word for Tony. Like, I try to think of like ape or caveman. But those are just like, I feel like that's disrespectful to apes and cavemen. (laughs) I came up with the perfect word for how Tony is being a galoot. Mm-hmm. Tony's being a goddamn galoot <laughs> about this whole thing. Oh, he's a big galoot. Yeah, for real. So she, anyway, she didn't want to shop at. Uh, she didn't want to go to the bra shop with this fucking galoot. Well, if he had, if she had seen him interacting with mannequins, she would want to stay as far away from. The, she'd probably every want to store. keep Tony away from there, lest he end up on some <laughs> list somewhere. Right. So she's like, you know how, um, you know how when we went shopping for my hockey skates. That was all great because you wear hockey skates and you know all about them. Yeah. Well, you know, like maybe I should go bra shopping with someone who like knows about bras. 
Like maybe I should go brush shopping with Angela. Well, she she's even it's even more clever than that. She says, "I bet Angela doesn't know anything about yeah. skates." And it's like, "Wow, that's pretty smooth." Pretty done. Pretty well yeah. done. So he's like, "Wait, are you telling me you want to go shopping with Angela?" And she goes, "Thanks, Dad," and gives yep. him a kiss and runs out of the room. <laughs> well done. All right, so we go back to the next scene. Is just a little later. I guess. Yeah, uh, well, they've gone out. Sh- it's like the next day, though, because okay. Angela and Mona and and Samantha. Sam have all gone out shopping. They've gone down to New York City to Bloomingdale's. They made a whole day of it. And Tony is home with Jonathan, Angela's son, who's a few years younger than Man, Samantha. Poor Jonathan. His hair is like a bleach blonde helmet that's taken some <laughs> shrapnel. <laughs> it's not. It's it not is, a great haircut. It's a Tony cut. probably cut it. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he yeah. did. So they're sitting and there and punched it. <laughs> Tony is just showing Jonathan that he's got this catcher's mitt. So or, I'm sorry, second, it's a second, second baseman's, baseman's glove. mitt yeah. glove. He's been breaking in for Sam's birthday gift. I'm sorry. I have to tell you. I have to read you the episode description for this episode of Who's the Boss. Sure. It is so hilarious. I'm like, who? Someone wrote this trying to make Who's the Boss sound like a fucking Chekhov. Tony is worried when Samantha acts uncharacteristically shy and uninterested in their baseball. No. It's football. Football. The ladies figure out she's growing into a bra build. Tony gathers. Well, Tony right. gathers the he courage. He knows the medical technology. <laughs> Tony, Tony gathers the courage to face a haughty, condescending, supportive underwear sales clerk. Only to be told his choice doesn't live up to current 12-year-old girl's fashion. So he lets Angela take Sam shopping at Bloomingdale's, only to see Sam outfitted like a mini-adult. As she seems to like that stuff, he starts doubting about her long-desired birthday gift, a pitching mitten. (laughs) Was this written by a a British gentleman from the 1800s? Tony, fresh from his trip around the world in a balloon. A pitching mitten. Anyway, it's a pitching mitten that she wants. You um, know those yanks and their pitching mittens. <laughs> so anyway, so Tony's showing this this second baseman's glove. He's breaking it in for his oil, and he's like breaking it in for Samantha. He's real excited to give it to her. She's wanted it for a long time. And then they all come back. All the women come back from their shopping trip, mm-hmm. and they make a big deal out of ushering Sam in last and she sure. comes in and she's dressed like a little lady yeah. in a dress. She has her hair done, a little bit of makeup on. And the last time we saw her in the last scene, she was wearing overalls and sneakers. Yeah. She's clearly a tomboy. And then here she is dressed in, as this little lady. And Tony cannot handle it. Especially poignant on the back of the, the fact that the audience gasps yeah. and breaks into applause. And yeah, this fucking galoot. He's like, oh, he's a fucking galootzer, is what I put down here. <laughs> he just can't compliment her. He can't just, say anything can't nice say to anything. her. anything. It's all about him and his, you know, precious tiny feelings. Yeah, and he's like, you look so grown up, and she just kind of waits for him to say, you look so nice. Yeah, or anything. How pretty. Or, or a neat dress. Yeah, and she so she just goes upstairs. Yeah. And Angela's like, how could you do that to her? And he says... That's not my Sam up there. How could you do that to my little girl? Galoot. He's mad. Cut to commercial. No laugh track. Very yeah. serious moment. He's like, it you lingers, ruined my man. kid, basically. You broke my child. <laughs> Let's take a He's pause pissed. here to, to say something about uh, Tony Danza and his history with uh, acting. Yeah. I researched this because uh, we have here one of my favorite sitcom things where a actor is on a show playing an actor that has the same first name as themselves. Yeah, I do love that too. I do too. It always makes me think, you know, maybe they had another name for their act, their character and it just wasn't, they just weren't responding. Right. The actor just never turned around. It's like, <laughs> Jimmy, 
Jimmy. Jimmy. Tony. Tony. Oh, oh uh. <laughs> so I looked it up, and out of his 52 acting credits on IMDb, mm-hmm. Tony Danza has played a character called Tony 12 times <laughs> for a 20% Tony to Tony character ratio. Oh, my God. Three of those credits are him playing himself. Of course. Including, <laughs> including in the full-length video for MC Hammer's Too Legit to Quit, which I watched three times and couldn't find him. <laughs> But here's the fucking thing. That video is extravagant as fuck. <laughs> I feel like their budget for Sparks alone was a million dollars. Treat yourself. Go back and look at the opulence of that fucking video. Oh my God. Uh, that's it. That was some jazz research that I, I did there. I love that. I love that moment of jazz research. I um, <laughs> Tony Danza is so interesting. He's done so many interesting things. I was just saying before we started recording that he, he wrote this book about teaching he taught high school for a year and then wrote a book about what it's like to teach high school for a year i once saw him he was at a bar i was at in new york city we were both sitting at the bar and i could not get the bartender's attention ever Mm. she just was ignoring the me and the person i was with and at some point i was like she's she's lingering on the other side of the bar with that dude she will not like she's always talking to that dude is that her boyfriend what's going on yeah and then he got up to go to the bathroom, and it was Tony Danza. <laughs> it was like, I'm being ignored for Tony Danza. Who's the boss of this bar? Who's the boss of this bar? Fucking Tony, Tony Danza. Tony Danza is. Wasn't me. I could have lit that place on fire, and she wouldn't have come down to, <laughs> to wait on me. But Tony would have been like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Here's something that I just found. Uh, a story from, from just two weeks ago. Tony Danza to be honored at Adapt Leadership Awards Gala. Edward R. Matthews, CEO of the Adapt Community Network, has announced that Tony Danza will be honored with the Houseman Humanitarian Award at the 2019 Adapt Leadership Awards Gala. He's a humanitarian. That's great. That is nice. They don't say anything specific that he'd done. He also almost had to go to jail instead of making this show. Oh, I heard about this. Two days before the show's debut, he was facing jail time because he punched a bouncer at a New York hotel. Hmm. And he's facing assault charges. And his lawyer was like, he can't go to jail. That would disrupt production of this show that he's on. And so instead they sentenced him to 250 hours of community service. And Tony Danza, to his credit, was so embarrassed. He was yeah. like, they are going to get the best 250 hours of community service they have ever seen. Yeah. And I'm sure he gave it to them. I'm sure he did. Probably punched some trash. Mm-hmm. He can punch is what I'm saying. He used to be a boxer. I mean, like, he, yeah, he looks like he can throw a punch. So anyway, Now we're in act two. T- Tony is pissed. We're back from commercial, and he's arguing with Angela. He said, you're turning her into Joan Collins. Jesus. Um, and I can understand, I could understand his being this upset if Angela had forced Sam to wear that dress. And Sam, yeah. if Sam had looked uncomfortable or Sam had been like, oh, I'd rather wear overalls. But Sam asked to go shopping with Angela. She seems thrilled yeah, by the whole thing. Yeah, she's real excited to have to be all dressed up and get to wear a little bit of makeup. And mm. so it's all Tony's discomfort speaking. She's growing up and he's being replaced. He feels like and and soon she'll want to do all kinds of things that don't involve him, and then she'll leave him behind. And it's all flashing before his eyes in the form of this right. dress, which we find out later. By the way, he is not saying any of this now. He's just like, "You, you ruined my little girl. My right. little girl's ruined," and right. just so on and so forth. Tony's saying, "You have to take it all back. Take it all back." And Mona's like, "You can't make her take it all back. She loves that stuff." And 
Angela says, I'm not turning her into a woman. Nature is. And Tony's like, that's my daughter up there, and I know her better than both of you put together. She's being real polite about this, but that just ain't her up there. Yeah. So he's just even refusing to believe that she could like this. It sounds real. No one's asking Samantha if she likes it. He never goes up there and at this point, up to this point, has never been like, hey, do you actually like wearing dresses? He just assumes. Here's the thing. When you quote Tony Danza without the the accent. Sorry. No, no, no. No, no, no. I'm just saying it makes him sound almost reasonable. <laughs> no, I'm not saying stop. I'm just saying like, oh, I kind of, yeah, I understand his first, but he's just. <laughs> I would also like to point out that Alyssa Milano yeah. has the cutest little Brooklyn Italian sure does. accent yep. ever. I'm going to talk a lot more about Alyssa Milano at the end of this episode. Okay, great. So everyone is speaking for Samantha, but no one's actually asked her how she feels about this. And Tony goes up later to tuck Samantha in for the night, and she's like, I'm too old to be tucked in. Well, first of all, he's just like, I'm going to walk on in. Like, after yeah. this whole, like, bra- like think it through. Oh. Like, what is he doing between the last scene and this one, is he just like staring at a He's wall? Throwing the football to himself in the backyard. <laughs> he throws it across the yard and it lands and he walks over there. <laughs> Fucking Italian Charlie Brown. <laughs> do 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 do. Um, yeah, so Tony, I mean, they've just had this whole conversation about how Samantha's growing up. She needs a bra and blah, 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 blah. She's embarrassed about this. She's concerned about that. And he's like, I'm just going to walk into your room now. Uh, And she's like, she slams the door shut. She's like, dad, I'm getting dressed. Yeah. Perfectly fine. He's like, uh, so (laughs) then, all right. So the previous scene, Angela has mentioned that she also got Samantha a robe, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, I was like, oh, okay. It's fucking robe. That's fine. But this is the robe that she comes out in, which is a delightful girly tent (laughs) with a doily. It is. It looks like she has smuggled like a teepee off a reservation. <laughs> it's so cute though. It's it's like a lilac color and it's got a pretty like lace collar and she's de- clearly delighted by it. Absolutely, that's fine. She even <laughs> has this cute line where she shows Tony the tag inside yeah. and says, "You have to wash it on delicate cycle." And mm-hmm. she's so proud of it. It's so cute. Um, and he, he, we just watch it wash over his face that she really likes this girly stuff, which he couldn't even 15 minutes ago conceive of. Yeah. And she says, I'll still kiss you goodnight. And he says, I'll take what I can get. And so she gives him a kiss and she goes into her room. Yeah. Also, I've noticed in this scene, here's another sign she's growing up. She's not laughing at Tony's stupid ass jokes anymore, <laughs> which means she's totally not a child. Right. He's like, she's like, oh, tomorrow, you know, as of tomorrow, I won't be able to go to, I'll have to play full price for movies. He's like, ah, that means half the movies. And she's like, mm. okay, dad. Okay, dad, sure. sure. I'm going to bed now. Are you okay? Do you <laughs> want to go in the backyard and throw the football at yourself? <laughs> yeah, do. <laughs> so Tony goes back downstairs and he admits to Mona and Angela that he was wrong. Oh, it's a real close to an apology. It's real close. Not, no cigar, but real close. He's terrified that he's losing Sam. And this is when it all comes out. He's like... Already picturing her wedding and her moving away. And Angela says, hey, aren't you jumping the gun a little bit? Mm. You know, there's a long time between her 12th birthday and her wedding. And then Mona starts in on a story and Angela's like, don't tell that story. story. But then I, I wrote it. This is like the best line. My favorite line of the whole episode. Mona goes, look, Angela, I had the misery of raising you. At least let me get a few laughs out of it, huh? Yeah, totally fine. And then later she's like. Sick Mona burn. 
I, I gave some advice and I embarrassed my daughter. Gotta go. Which is <laughs> fine. But let's talk about this story for a second. She tells a story about Angela being in the sixth grade. And one day, Angela, you know, uh, uh, dated a boy. She fell in love with the crossing guard. Fell in love with the crossing guard and, and gave all of her dolls away to charity. And she's like, I'm a woman in love. And then this guy cheats on her. And Mona fixes the situation by going down to the Salvation Army to get the dolls back. That's not... That's not fixing anything. Well, the point, her point was kids may seem all grown up one minute, but then the next minute they bounce back to being kids. It doesn't happen all at once. I, but I, the way she tells the story, I picture Mona looking at her child being like, he broke my heart. And she's like, gotta go. <laughs> Walks down the Salvation Army. Maybe we skipped a sentence that made it clear that Maybe. Angela wanted the dolls back for it comfort or something. Oh, also fun uh, throwback to a, a woebegone era. Oh is she says that when she goes to the Salvation Army to get the dolls, she has to hear a sermon on the dangers of Muscatel? Yes. Okay. Well, number one, I couldn't be happier that the Salvation Army has cut this shit out. Right. Because I just want a shirt with the funny picture on it or, like, you know, a costume for a sketch that I'm doing. I want to hear about the dangers of dessert wine. <laughs> Which, by the way, watch out, American moral right. fiber. Dessert wine. The kids uh, come downstairs. Jonathan and um, and Sam come downstairs. They're supposed to be in bed, but they're like, we need some milk. Mm-hmm. So they sit at the table drinking milk after they scout around the kitchen trying to find birthday stuff. And they find the birthday cake they do. on top of the fridge. And it's pretty cute. Jonathan says, it's chocolate. I won. Like, what were you betting on? <laughs> chocolate or vanilla. What was, what was Samantha saying? I hope it's... Grape nuts. Sherbert. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 12 years I'm old 12, now. I shall have a grape nuts cake. I'll have bread. <laughs> um, um, and then Sam realizes that Jonathan knows what her birthday present is. Yep. And she wheedles it out of him. And he's like, oh, it's a, it's a glove. Baseball glove. Meanwhile... Tony's out in the living room, and he's he's slowly accepting this fact that Samantha's too grown up. She's too grown up for this baseball glove. Yeah. So in the kitchen, she's jumping around. She's, she's really overjoyed about it, but he's going to give away that that glove to get something else. This is of course the plot to Gift of the Tonai <laughs> by Oh Henry. <laughs> um. <laughs> it's. It's a serviceable joke. No, it's good. Uh, it's... Because it is the, pl- the plot of Gift of the Toni. You're right. Gift of the Toni. So she, he says, I got to face it. The next couple of years are going to be tough. I can't give her this baseball glove. I need to give her something that shows that I know she's growing up. And he's questioning whether or not he knows his daughter at all. And so Angela's like, you should give her a necklace to go with the clothes. Yeah. And Tony's like, I'll do that. I'll take back the glove and get her a necklace. There you go. So next day, it's a party, a very small, oh God. small Let's, Can we talk party. again about the birthday party that's just your parents I know, and you? I know you just can't have people in the background and you can't introduce characters, but make it like after, like, oh, I can't wait till my big party tomorrow or I can't right. wait till my friends come over later. It's just... Don't make this kid seem so sad by like, here's your big party, and it's just us four people Again. who are morally obligated this to be here. This happens so often in sitcoms, and I'd be like, this is the root of all this kid's problems. It's not is great. The fact that I don't know. I wish friends. that would happen in my real life. Just me, Chelsea, a bucket of chicken wings. I feel like we've definitely had nights like that, but weren't your birthday. <laughs> I feel like it's, it's your birthday 
all year round. <laughs> all you need to make that happen is the bucket of I want, chicken. I want the Tony Danza birthday party experience. Is right. this is have you that. are you using the podcast to tell me that you don't like when I throw you gigantic birthday parties and make everyone we know and people we ba- also barely great, know? What a great question. Come no, that's, that's a great question. What I'm <laughs> yeah. actually doing, I'm using the podcast to tell all of the potential people who may be coming over not to bother. <laughs> oh, wow. shit. Wow. Wow. Well, I know what part of this episode I'm going to demand be left in no matter what happens. Uh, so, yeah, if you're out there and you like Miles, feeling is not mutual. <laughs> Apparently not. Or do you just want Tony just the, Danza? You're, it's me, you, it's and Tony the, Danza. It's just the introverts want for a stellar birthday party, I think, sometimes. That's right? Fair. You consider yourself right? an introvert? I was going to wow, say, okay, it, it sounds like you're starting your new show called Who's Their Curmudgeon? <laughs> <laughs> but there's no mystery here. In fact, the original title of that is You're Their Curmudgeon. Well, remember who I really wanted to marry? The C? steve That's right. For the C? <laughs> I was trying. I felt like it was going to be a really awkward place. And so I said the C. Hoping to, to like, let's stop talking to Miles. Who's the misanthrope? That's the, who's the asshole? Who's That's the Miles? <laughs> who's the Miles now? Um, so <laughs> this is the inmost cave, this birthday party. Samantha is wearing her new dress. She's got her hair done, her yeah. makeup, the whole thing. She gets a necklace from her father, but she's not happy with it. She's because she's expecting the baseball glove. And Tony is now so confused because he was like, I thought I figured this out. I thought that you were no longer the girl that I raised and everything about her was gone. And now we were doing this version of Samantha and I was just going with that. And so this is the climax and it's happening to Tony internally. The ordeal is how do we reconcile? How does Tony reconcile the Samantha he knows with the woman she's becoming Mm. and all his efforts thus far have failed. And the reason they failed is because he has assumed she can only be one thing or the other. Further. She's in, he hasn't asked Samantha a single goddamn question. This is true. She's like, I wish that there were something else. I thought I, Thought I knew there was He's something like, else coming. Is the thing that I think you wish was, was the thing? <laughs> so he jumps up and he gives her the glove. He hasn't returned it after all. And he couldn't return it because he already oiled already it. Already oiled it. Point of, point of order at the sportsman, sportsmanship store. Um, so she she puts the glove on. She's wearing it with her dress. She's so excited. She's jumping around. And this is the resolution. She can be both things. Yeah. She can be a tomboy who also wants to wear dresses sometimes. She can like sports and also need to wear a bra. She can catch a fly ball in a dress. Exactly. And he can still trust what he knows about his daughter as long as he's open to learning more about her as she grows up. Asking her a question. Yeah. I mean, Communication. I really wish that at some point they had been like, hey, you know your daughter can talk back? <laughs> <laughs> this isn't just an output machine. Yeah, it's it's really visually it's a really nice way to end that episode yeah. with like everything's really tied up like a little pink bow on a bra. Yeah. <laughs> I feel real weird about <laughs> Don't saying. Don't say that. Nope. Um, it's all tied up like the bow on Samantha's dress. Yeah. Oh, that's cute. He says, I got the best dressed second baseman in the majors. Yeah. Oh, I love you. And he picks her up and hugs her and kisses her. So there's lots of hugs and kisses and excitement. So many. No other party guests. Pitchers mittens forever. <laughs> pitchers and pitching mittens. Pitching mittens um, for everyone. 
But then this, so this is, that's the reward and consequences. And then we don't really have an act three of the hero's journey, but we just assume this is just the beginning of puberty, but we assume they're going to get through it together and, yeah. and, uh, and everything will be great. And we get a, uh, a tag on the end of this episode, which is the, if the last scene is, I guess everything settled and this tag is, or is it? So anyway, Tony's making a salad. Angela's eating the salad and he's like, don't eat the salad. Hilarious. Yeah. Did you not see this? No, I didn't see this. Really? The, mm-hmm. the, the tag to the episode. I didn't see okay, it. Okay. So uh, Tony's making a salad. Angela's eating the salad. He's like, don't eat my salad. Hilarious. Okay, great. Classic Tony Classic Angela Tony. salad humor. <laughs> Samantha comes back from a baseball game and she's very excited. She used her new glove and it's great. And Tony's like, did you win? She's like, no. And he's like, well, then why are you so excited? And the phone rings. And she's like, that's for me. And she goes over and answers it. And it's a boy named Bobby. Who's the boy? Who's the boy? Bobby is the boy. That, that is not a question. You're the boy. <laughs> Bobby, Bobby has called Samantha from the game. And Samantha's real sleazy-like is like, yeah, Bobby, I will help you with your fielding. And then she hangs up the phone and she, she screams, he's so clumsy, but he's so cute. And that's the end of it. You mean to tell me that Tony Maselli, yeah. helicopter dad of the century, didn't go, see his didn't go game. to the yeah. fucking baseball game because he had to make a salad? Yeah, did I mention the salad, though? <laughs> oh, my God, that makes no There's sense. There's a lot of things that's like, uh, why were you playing football in the middle of uh, breakfast? <laughs> so that's the end of the episode. We, uh, we assume that it's going to get more complicated from here, but as long as Tony can make a salad, I don't know, man. He's such a fucking galoot. <laughs> he truly is. So for all my bluster about how Tony is the worst person in the world, um, he's not. I thought about this. uh, This episode premiered almost 35 years ago. And they are, in fact, discussing bras and and this sort of thing. So it seems so night and day from where we are now. Mm -hmm. I took it back 35 years from Who's the Boss and looked at shows like the popular sitcoms at that time where I Love Lucy, Donna Reed Show, Leave it to Beaver, starring Mm -hmm. Rich Carell. Uh, and this show that I had never heard of called Bachelor Father. It premiered in the late 50s. I've tried to, it's almost impossible to find full episodes. Bachelor Father. Bachelor Father. Okay, so this, <laughs> there's so much to this. This show, sponsored by American Cigarettes, <laughs> ran from 1957 to 62, total of 157 episodes. It's about Bentley Gregg a wealthy bachelor attorney in Beverly Hills, raising his orphaned teenage niece, Kelly, who he adopts after her parents die in a car accident. Good Lord. Yeah, right? It's, it's Well, I mean, I'm sure they get right past that, uh, and it's just, you know, misunderstanding. So, But it's close to this as far as the, the subject's concerned. Yeah, out-of-touch father raising a teenage girl. But as far as the comparison between this and who's the boss... They never broach any subjects like this. Oh, interesting. So she goes all the way through puberty without this ever coming up on the show. Yep. Uh, Nor do a lot of shows at this time. You know, I Love Lucy, the beds are still pulled apart. Right. The Donna Reed show is certainly, you know, centering on that housewife uh, uh, way to be. So for all my talk about how Tony is the worst and, and he doesn't handle this very well, still night and day compared to now, but also night and day compared to the way it was in the 50s. Yeah. I would have to say, I'm, I'm just glad that this episode existed. I'm glad that they brought it up. He was clumsy about it, but that was 
the point was, yeah. and you know, it wasn't, the writing was actually pretty, I think the writing was pretty good. It could, it was, it's not as flawless as like the home run episode of family ties, no. but in terms of like, here's the thing we're not actually here to talk about girls going through puberty. We're here to talk about parents feeling awkward about girls going through yeah, puberty. Exactly. Yeah. And to be, little insight into the whole awkwardness reading this article from the LA Times I think this was the year 2000 um, but I think it speaks to the awkwardness that Tony was feeling it says here that a father might say speaking about their daughter other males beginning begin looking at our daughters the same way we looked at girls when we were their age or maybe they see, mm. still do to see our daughters treated as objects is frightening and appalling we're afraid our daughters are going to be harmed or violated in a way we can't fix we kick into this overprotective mode, not trusting their life choices or their ch- the choices of their friends, afraid that they won't stay out of trouble or know how to get out of trouble. Mm. Uh, and then it goes on to say, um, my, moder- my, my daughter's turning into a shapely woman. I don't know. I don't want to be accused of molestation. Uh, it used to be at breakfast when I would see her eating cereal, I would kiss her on the top of the head. I don't think she likes that anymore, and I limit my physical contact. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's even deeper than I'm being replaced. You're into things that I don't know anything about and more like, oh, God, I've just realized I can't protect you for the rest of your life. Uh, the article ends with saying that at this point in a, a daughter and father's relationship, it's up to the father to, quote, suck it up and keep reaching out. Oh, yeah. that's great. That's great advice. Which I think is a great way to end that. Chelsea. Yeah. What about bra shopping? Oh, let me tell you about bra shopping. This I love is, to hear it. This episode feels to me to be timely, not just because, you know, there are always girls out there shopping for their first bra, but bras have been in the zeitgeist recently. Now in the age of Me Too, which mm-hmm. is uh, ties us straight back into Alyssa Milano, and I have a theory about Alyssa Milano that I'm going to come back to in a moment. Can't wait. There's this idea of, like, who are bras for, right? Obviously, they're for women. We live our lives in them. But almost all of the time, they're made and marketed from the male gaze point of view, mm. right? So that's the whole the whole thing of Victoria's Secret is women wearing incredibly uncomfortable looking lingerie. Some of some of these bras in the Victoria's Secret fashion show are studded with like a million dollars worth of rubies, and it's like cool, cool, cool. So that's not actually a thing any woman ever would buy, could afford to buy, or would wear. So lately, there's there's been a lot of talk about if, if if lingerie is a fantasy, like whose fantasy is it? Not the one that actually has to buy and wear it. Sure. In fact, Victoria's Secret Chief Marketing Officer Ed Razek back in uh, November of 2018 got in some hot water because he said in talking about the Victoria's Secret fashion show, he said people asked, why don't you have plus size models? Why don't you have trans models? Why do all the models look, they're all the same age, they're all the same shape, they're mostly the same color. Uh, And he said, we attempted to do a television special for plus sizes in 2000. No one had any interest in it. They still don't. It's like, why doesn't your show do this? Shouldn't you have transsexuals in the show? Incorrect term, his words, not mine. Right. No, no, I don't think we should. Well, why not? Because the show is a fantasy. And he said more horrible things, but he was basically like, why would we show people fat women in bras? Why would we show people trans women in bras? No one wants to see that. Uh, in unrelated news, I'm sure February 28th, 2019, Victoria's Secret says it's shuttering 53 more stores. Unrelated news. Unrelated, completely <laughs> unrelated. Uh, just wanted to throw that out there. Victoria's Secret, go fuck yourself. Yeah. However, there are so many more options for buying bras than there were even 10 years ago. Sure. The founder, the CEO of a bra company called Third Love responded to these Victoria's Secret comments. She took out a full page out of the New York Times to post an open letter to Victoria's Secret, which is also posted on their website. It's great. You should read the whole thing. 
But part of it says, this is, again, directed to Victoria's Secret. You market to men and sell a male fantasy to women. But at Third Love, we think beyond, as you said, a 42-minute entertainment special. Your show may be a fantasy, but we live in reality. Our reality is that women wear bras in real life as they go to work, breastfeed their children, play sports, care for ailing parents, and serve their country. Haven't we moved beyond outdated ideas of femininity and gender roles? It's time to stop telling women what makes them sexy. Let us decide. We're done with pretending certain sizes don't exist or aren't important enough to serve. And please stop insisting that inclusivity is a trend. Mm. Yay for Heidi Zack, CEO of Third Love. I would also, this is totally an unpaid ad for Third Love, (laughs) but I have several of their bras. They're amazing. I'm wearing one right now. They make 78 bra sizes, including half cup sizes in a huge range of colors. Another problem that's come up in the past with lingerie is that skin tone lingerie has traditionally been for women who have white skin. Third Love has a huge range of colors. They have a very in-depth style quiz for finding the best fit. It's woman-owned. It's woman-powered. It's woman-positive. Get a bra from Third Love if you need a bra. Or good luck trying to find one of the many shuttered stores (laughs) at Victoria's Secret. I'm sure it has nothing to do with their attitude towards consumers. You know. Toward women. Yeah. The, uh, the people who buy their consumers. products. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They can close the doors to the Victoria's Secret and then just put a little bow on there. There you go. <laughs> a little bow. A little pink bow. But a bow that a man would appreciate. Yes, exactly. Not awesome. A, not a bow that a plus-size woman would appreciate. No. So, Chelsea, uh, I feel like we learned so very much from this episode. Yep. What would you say, what's the main thing you feel like you learned? Um, wait, I need to go back to my Alyssa Milano theory. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, Go ahead. My, I have been... I I thought about this this morning, and then I did a little bit of jazz research, and I I think I stand by it. I think Alyssa Milano is the best adjusted child actor of her generation. I agree. She transitioned into adult acting roles. Mm -hmm. She's a producer. She's a writer. She's cut five albums. She's an activist. She was right there sitting stone-faced behind Brett Kavanaugh when he was giving his testimony. She got in a little bit of hot water on Twitter a few days ago because she poorly phrased. She was trying to say she's an ally to a bunch of people, and she said, like, I'm a trans man. I'm a gay person. I'm this and that. And those people were like, um, point of order, you are not actually. Um, But I get what she was trying to say. That's a a common, like, sentiment. Exactly. But in this age, it's Um, not really applicable for those things. No, you got to let people have you know, own their own journeys. Yeah. Uh, I have friends that have worked with her as a producer and she's apparently a joy to work with. She's been an activist even when she was a teenager. She, like in the late 80s, heard that there was this schoolboy named Ryan White who was ostracized for having AIDS and she attended a big party for him where she right. sat next to him for six oh, hours. Nice. They made friendship bracelets. She hugged him. She kissed him to show that you can't get the disease, you can't yep. get AIDS in the 80s, you yeah. know, like as a kid, as a child actor. So... Uh, she's never been arrested, you know, like she's, she's like our princess die. She's Alyssa Milano. I'm going to go to bat for this best adjusted child actor of her generation. Okay. I say we, we keep that going so far. I can't think of a single person who's winning in that contest that we've discussed <laughs> so far. But yeah, I think that that's, that's very fair. Just yeah. seems like a down to earth person. Yeah. And we've pointed out a lot of tragic things that have happened to child actors yep. on episodes. We've talked about it only feels fair that we need to point out that Melissa Milano killing the game, uh, justifying my crush from age, I don't know, <laughs> 11 until present. Until present. So man, we learned so very much from this yeah. episode. Chelsea, do you want to try to summarize what you learned from this episode? I guess I learned that, uh, there are different baseball, Mitts for different positions. I learned that too. It's a thing I did not know. Boy, I felt I felt like a real non 
a stereotypical Italian man when that <laughs> when that came up. I was like, is that a special? Oh, oh. I I think the biggest thing that I learned is that uh, my my shitty Italian accent does come from somewhere. Yeah, I learned the proper use of the word galoot. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, I also learned that there's a show called Bachelor Father from the 1950s <laughs> that I've got to find now. I have to find it. And who did you want to hug? I mean, Sam seems fine, actually. Yeah. I think it's Tony that needs a hug. I think so, too. Just be like, it's going to be fine, dude. You just got to keep talking to her. Like Miles said from that article, just keep the lines of communication open. Yeah. And don't assume, you got to stop assuming that you know everything about her now because she's going to... She's developing into a, her own person. That's going to happen with boys too at this age. Yeah, you know, it's but people becoming you know individuals instead of your kid. Yeah, yeah. You know, think about it, dummy. <laughs> Galoot. Um, so that's uh, that's who's the boss. I'm really glad we finally got to this uh, series, and I'm sure we'll have one or two more episodes to talk about along the way. Yeah, absolutely. What are we watching next time, Andy? Next time we are going to be watching a TV movie, mm-hmm. Kim Possible. So the drama. You can catch that for free on Disney Now, and we will have a very special guest with us, Mary Chifo, who is a friend of mine and a brilliant actor. She's currently on Star Trek Discovery, and we're excited to have her in the studio for sure. So we will see you then. Bring snacks. Bye. Thank you for listening to Hugging and Learning. If you want to visit us online, our website is huggingandlearning.com, where you can find links to all the articles we talked about today, as well as our post office box, where you can mail us snacks. Subscribe to our podcast, rate and review, and tell your friends about us. If you want to drop us a line, you can email us at huggingandlearningpodcast at gmail.com. You can tell us about the experiences you've had with things we talked about. Or you can send us suggestions on which episodes we should do next. Our podcast is produced by Miles Pulaski, who also wrote our theme music. I'm Andrew. And I'm Chelsea. See you next time. Bring snacks.